I once served in a youth ministry with a guy younger than me, and, and this guy was great at connecting with kids. He loved energetic games and would run around and just have a lot of fun with kids. He also liked board games and was very good and usually won, and he set the rules. He was good at leading a game called Mafia. It's a role-playing, storytelling game. I'm sure some of you know about it or have heard about it. The kids and youth loved Ben, and Ben loved them. Ben was born overseas in a family that was, uh, spent their life on the mission field. And then at a certain point, they came back to Canada. Uh, and as you might expect, they came back to Canada probably not having as much money as the other families around. But as I said, he and his whole family actually have a lot of joy. And then near the end of high school, he finished school and high school here, near the end of high school, he found out that he had a large inheritance coming his way from his grandparents. And then when his grandparents passed away, he and his siblings received an amount of money they could do with what they pleased. So what I noticed about my friend Ben is a new sense of freedom that this offered him. He had just finished high school, went into college, and he felt the freedom to choose what he wanted to study. I noticed a freedom of purpose. During his studies, he continued to serve and volunteer and even took some time off. I noticed he had the freedom of time. Before this inheritance, he was a great guy, loving and serving people. And then after his inheritance, I noticed that this sense of freedom only grew. It was because of belonging to his family that this inheritance was made possible for him. Belonging has its privileges. I don't know about you, but receiving news like this of a large inheritance is really exciting. We love to imagine what we would do if, if money was no object. Uh, and actually an encouragement this morning would be, even if you don't have that coming to you, what are the things you imagine and, and what could you do uh, even without a large financial inheritance? What's stopping you from aiming at your goals? We love the idea of striking it rich and that, that money and finances would be this path to the freedom we desire. However, I want to ask this morning, what if more of that freedom is available to us than we think? And what if a financial inheritance is not the key to it? What if there's already an inheritance with your name on it, just waiting for you to make a withdrawal. We're in a series here after Easter about the Holy Spirit, God's promised gift of his very presence with us, bringing to us all, all the gifts and resources we need for his life in this world. We're looking at a number of his attributes, and today we're looking at the Holy Spirit as a seal. I'd like you to hear the words from Ephesians chapter 1. This is what it says. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's awesome. It's an awesome word. And so Paul, the, the writer of this letter, is writing to a, a group of churches in a city called Ephesus. It's, uh, it's there in what we call today Turkey. 
And he's trying to write to them with a clear and compelling vision of what their, their new faith would bring them. They, they live in a city, the city of Ephesus. It's on the sea. It a, it's a, was a hub of trade. It was a mix of cultures and religions. A metropolitan, world-leading city, much like here in Vancouver. So the people of the church in Ephesus, the, the hearing this letter, they're, they're new to following Jesus, and very likely their, their worldview and their values are probably shaped more by their society than by the God of the Bible. I can relate to that. I'm not sure about you. So Paul is writing to these new Christians because they need, like us, their imaginations peaked, their interests stirred, and their vision raised to the power of Jesus' gospel and to this newly given gift of the Holy Spirit among them. What Paul is trying to say in, in this passage is something like this. When you chose to follow Christ, something totally new happened, something huge. It has to do with, with truth. It has to do with good news. It has to do with salvation. It's like you've hit the jackpot. You've been marked. You've been sealed. It's, it's coming to you, and it's all yours. So I want to actually look at what inheritance have we been given? What is the nature of this jackpot? I once had an experience uh, of a small experience of sort of hitting a jackpot. Uh, I used to work with a group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on, on campuses with students, and periodically I'd get invited to conferences in Toronto. So on one of those flights, a friend of mine who's a frequent flyer um, gave me a free pass to this place, you'll see it here, called the Maple Leaf Lounge. Has anyone been to this place? Um, in that busy Pearson airport uh, where they sell expensive food and there's announcements and the places to sit are, are not that comfortable, the Maple Leaf Lounge is head and shoulders above that experience. So my experience of this lounge started by walking through these, these glass doors uh, and meeting a concierge. It's always good when you're meeting a concierge. It's, uh, something's coming. So I, show, I showed him my ticket. Good, I got the ticket, which led to uh, the elevator, up the elevator, and the doors opened. And when those doors opened, I, I started to see all the perks I'd heard about, uh, the comfy chairs and sofas, unlike those little seats in the regular lounge, uh, newspapers and magazines that you could read, and the food. The buffet is free, and that includes drinks of all kinds, and the silence. I don't know, they didn't send a memo, but it's just silent. People are just resting and eating and relaxing. It was like paradise for someone after a long conference waiting to get on a flight back to Vancouver. So that lounge and all its rewards are right there in the airport. <laughs> But I, I only had access to it because uh, it was granted to me from someone else. It was a, a free gift I hadn't earned. It was so close, but I needed help to claim it. So what Paul is describing in this letter to God's family, to us, hitting a jackpot, is, is like that, a free gift. I want to read in, in chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. It says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. 
So Paul wants us and these Ephesians Christians wanted them to know that belonging to God's family is a new way to live with new hope and new access to resources. The, the riches of God's grace is what it says. So let's lean into that and sort of find out what he's talking about. So the riches of God's grace. It might sound a little hard to relate to. and We might think it's, you know, just purely spiritual pie in the sky. But through, through the rest of the Bible, God wants us to know that the riches of his grace is both physical, meeting our needs, yes, and spiritual. So there's many passages about it, but I, I love this particular passage in Luke that talks about the God, God as the good father. Uh, let's read together, or I'll read it for you. Which of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Within the riches of God's grace, as we see here, He's our, our physical provider. We can call on him and trust his character as good father. Yet God does want so much more for us than just giving this, the stuff we need for our physical life. The Ephesians passage emphasizes the, this amazing truth, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So the Holy Spirit is our, our seal, seals us into this sense of real life, like, like an all-access pass to a freedom of purpose, to a freedom of time. Like my friend Ben, who had access to this because of the family we belong to. Belonging to the family of Jesus has its privileges. This brings us to the second related feature of the Holy Spirit as our seal. Let's listen to the words of Romans 8. as our main passage for today. For all who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call on him, Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So here it is. The Holy Spirit seals us into an adoption contract. I was thinking about this this week. It would be like getting a phone call. You know, we've all seen the coronation of a new king in England. It'd be like getting a phone call and says, you know, hello, it's a royal palace here. Oh, so I won't do the accent. <laughs> It'll just be Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, but you get a call and it says, no, you, you've been adopted. There's, there's a contract waiting. And it's all the riches of the kingdom are now yours. So because of Christ's work on the cross, God has welcomed us irreversibly into his family with all the benefits that come along with it. And in the passage we've just read, Paul wants to contrast a common image in his day, that of master and slave and adopted child. So the Roman culture was incredibly stratified. A power belonged to the few, and those people controlled the economy and the society. Uh, 
So in that culture, being a slave of a master would have been a very common station in life for many. Being a a slave in the Roman society would have been what we might hear of today called an an indentured servant, which is a lifetime contract at the whim of a powerful master. So this week I I was thinking about this and I I came across some stories of um, domestic workers in Canada, many of them who suffer slave-like conditions. They, They come on the guise of maybe a family or a tourist visa and they find themselves with no rights uh, long hours, no, low or no pay, uh, all their documents are seized and they're stuck at the whim of a master. And, and that's likely happening right here in our city. In slavery, the master holds all the power, leaving you uh, in a state where all, all your, it just your whole life is at the whims of someone else's power. If we're honest, we might mistakenly view God this way. A distant master Uh, just holding all the cards, waiting to see if we'll mess up. But that is not the Bible's view of God. As Romans 8 says, instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Paul, instead, is drawing his readers from that image to that of adopted child. Uh, There's a book I read uh, preparing for this from Max Lucado. It's called Help is Here. And he does some work on this image of what an adopted child would have been like in that society. In that society, when you're adopted, you you lose all relationship to your old family and instead you gain all the rights of the new family. You become an heir to the father's estate and you're forgiven all prior debts. You are in the eyes of the law legally belonging to that new father. I love how the book of Galatians restates this truth about God's adoption. Here it is from the message. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you're not a slave, but a child? And if you are a child also an heir, with complete access to the inheritance. Amazing. So here we read that the Holy Spirit affirms God's adoption by giving us the ability and and even the desire from within to call God Abba Father or or Papa Father. Such an up-close way to know the creator of the universe. Abba. It's an Aramaic word that simply means my father. We hear Jesus using it in scripture, really notably when he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane that that cup of his suffering would pass from him. As one writer put it, it's a term expressing warm affection of filial confidence. It's a child's word for their dad. Yet it's the word Jesus uses for God the father. It holds a mix of closeness and reverence. Does this type of word, Abba, well up in you when you consider God as your father. This reference to God close as a father, let's admit, could be hard for many of us. Maybe our fathers have not been that way with us. Uh, Maybe they weren't even present in our lives. Maybe they're not present anymore, even if we wanted to pursue this type of relationship with our dads. So all the more reason that the Holy Spirit would draw us into this kind of Abba-Father relationship with our eternal God. So that all, that all sounds great, but I want to help us ask, how? How is this possible? 
So again, Max Lucado in his book asks that question. How, how do we start to see this reference to God as Father something like over 200 times in the New Testament when it's a just scant few times in the Old Testament? His answer is this. Christ happened. The death on the cross was the final payment of our sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. That's from Psalms. So it's, it's the forgiveness that Jesus offers us on the cross that opens up, as Hebrews says, that new and living way to interact with God as Father and us as adopted children. He wants to, the Spirit wants to remind us of this daily, and he wants this knowledge to fuel our, our living, our fuel our living so that we don't fall into living with fear. A life without fear, wouldn't that be a game changer? Because I think if we're honest, we can admit that many of our daily decisions are, are seasoned with fear. Afraid that I'm alone. Afraid that all the most important life decisions are up to me. Afraid that there really is no one to back me up. Instead, the Holy Spirit wants to seal us into living with peace and security that we are accepted, adopted children with the promise of inheriting God's riches. Now, now we all come from families where we did not see this uh, perfectly played out. Our families have made us at different ways uh, question our security. We've all experienced woundedness. So we need, as I said, we need the Holy Spirit to amplify this knowledge of our uh, accepted adoptedness, our inheritance. There's a charming little book on prayer that speaks of this in many ways. This book is called Sleeping with Bread. And I want to read you the author's opening story that is, leads that book. It goes like this. During the bombing raids of World War II in England, thousands of children were orphaned and left to starve. The fortunate ones were rescued and placed in refugee camps where they received food and good care. But many of these children who had lost so much could not sleep at night. They feared waking up to find themselves once again homeless and without food. Nothing seemed to reassure them. Finally, someone hit upon the idea of giving each child a piece of bread to hold at bedtime. Holding their bread, these children could finally sleep in peace. All through the night, the bread reminded them, today I ate and I will eat again tomorrow. So the orphaned children in that story had had many meals. They were told in words, you will eat tomorrow. But it didn't seem to work to, to give them peace. So it was the mental knowing of the truth wasn't enough to give them the peace and security they needed. They needed to hold bread in their hands, a tangible reminder of the meal to come. So we can be told in words, just like you've heard this morning, that we are adopted children, that we have a rich inheritance coming our way. But here's the secret. When the Holy Spirit connects us to God through daily conversations and a life of prayer, that's meant to be the fuel, to, to be the bread, uh, like a bread for a hungry child. So again, the question, is that how you experience God's presence when you pray? 
and I know e- eating bread when we're hungry is very tangible, but uh, you know, let's be honest that our prayer lives may not feel that tangible. So I want to help us figure out how that can be true for us today. Jesus famously said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not be hungry. And then later in John, he says this about knowing him. He says this, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus as our bread is meant to have the quality of what the Bible calls here eternal life. And a lot is said and imagined about eternal life. Uh, we mostly focus on the perks of, of living forever and, and what we do, sort of like a, an eternal maple leaf lounge. And yes, those perks are part of what the Bible calls eternal life. And yet they're not the core of it. One Bible commentator describes it like this. It's not just unending life in the sense of prolonged duration. Rather, it's a quality of life with its quality derived from relationship with God. So in John 17, Jesus is saying... The final goal of our life, starting now, right now, here today, is eternal life. This quality of life that is knowing him. So this word knowing, let's just pause on it for a minute. It's the Greek word gnosis. And in Greek, in their day, it's a very strong word. Actually, it was used as a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. So do we know the Lord like this, like bread, like bread? Like, like being as close as a lover. If I invited uh, a parent-child uh, pair up here to connect and talk about how they know each other, you'd, you'd hear all sorts of stories and statements about, about their life together, the way they, they share ordinary life and they're familiar with each other. If you asked me about my dad, if my dad was here, I might tell you a few things. I might tell you that every time I visited home and remember growing up, my dad always had a box of Fig Newtons. Anyone remember this or have this at your home? Kind of a sweet fig taste. And I like them when I go home, but I, I honestly, I don't buy them. A little too sweet. Uh, I could tell you that my dad is, is great at fixing things. He, he built a number of homes as I was growing up. And when we had a home in Alberta, my dad and I built a deck. I remember building a deck with my dad. And I could also tell you uh, many memories, uh, distant and up close recently, of my dad saying, I love you. So it's this kind of up-close knowing of our Abba, Father in heaven, which is meant to be like a parent-child relationship. And that's what the Holy Spirit seals us into and helps us derive daily regular security from. So as we end, I actually want to lead us in a prayer practice that I hope will help you, help us, hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, and really to know God in this way that he would quench our hunger with this eternal quality of life. It's a prayer, a prayer practice that I love that, that helps me and I hope will help you draw close to God knowing how to claim this sense of adoption in your own life. Uh, the practice is called Lectio Divina. I'm sure you've heard of it here. It's simply Latin for divine reading. It's where you read a portion of scripture and really just ask the Holy Spirit to say, would you highlight a word or a phrase that I need in particular? Uh, and I find that as I do this, and as I hope that as we do this together, the, the Spirit will come and 
give you a word, a voice from him that's like bread in your life. We're going to read from Romans chapter 8, right after what we read before. It's verse 31 to 39. You may want to keep it near you this week. You'll see it on the screen. It's like a manifesto of heavenly confidence. So as I read it, you can have your eyes closed or open, maybe your hands out before you, and just hear the word of the Lord to you. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's just spend about a minute in silence and just hearing those words to us. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you seal us into this life of unstoppable confidence. No matter what we're going through, we belong to you, to your family. Nothing can tear us away from this adoption, from this inheritance in you. Your promise says that can't happen. May that be true for each person here this day. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.